Welcome to another episode of Brew Roots. I'm Emily. And I'm Matt. And this is the podcast that tells you the stories behind your favorite beer. Each week, we take a look behind the scenes at the craft beer industry. And now, on to the episode. What up, Brew Roots listeners? What up? Welcome to another episode. This week, we're featuring an interview with Lord Hobo. Yes, I'm very excited about this interview, and I'm really proud of Ryan with the way he made this episode sound, because I know that the environment that I recorded in was less than ideal. So thanks, Ryan. He always makes it happen. Mm-hmm. Shut up, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, you are a amazing sound engineer. You should just say wizard. Ooh, sound wizard? Sound wizard, yes. If yeah. you guys want a Everyone sound wizard. thinks yeah. it's magic. You know, it doesn't require any science or skill whatsoever. It's just magic. So you might as well just say wizard. I just think it involves expensive software. So you're not wrong. Equipment. You're (laughs) not wrong. So if you guys are looking for a freelance sound engineer, Ryan is available. And you can reach him at Ryan at RyanBlaneySoundDesign.com. And the link will be in the description of the episode. As always. But... If you also are listening to our podcast for the first time, don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast. It really helps us out more than you can even imagine. That gets the podcast out to more people and more visible. We can continue to produce what we think is the best beer podcast out there. And if you don't think so, you can email us, info at brewroots.com. You can also get on our social media and slide in our DMs. We are at brewroots on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So don't forget to give us a follow. Or you can just accept that you're wrong. (laughs) All right. So now that we dropped those facts on you, Emily, I need some facts for this weekend. So throw them at me. I got your facts. Introducing the Brew Roots Beer Fact of the Week. So we all know and love the great Sierra Nevada Brewery. Love them. Love them. And this week, they appointed a new CEO, and they're projecting 5% growth in 2019. This article is from Brewbound. Hello, meow, meow, cat. There's a cat in the room. This article is from Brewbound, which I recently discovered, and it's great for craft beer news, but they also have awesome job postings for craft breweries all around the country. So if you guys are looking to work in the industry, maybe check out some jobs, do some interviews, I would highly recommend. This is not sponsored. And believe it. To rumors on the internet, I am not the new CEO. I know that you guys are I know. I I knew you guys were going to think that. But yes, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company has a new CEO. So the brewery founder, Ken Grossman, named former COO Jeff White to the position last October. So apparently this is the first we're hearing of it, but it's been actually happening for a couple of months now. And the guy's name is Jeff White, which is funny because that's my uncle's name. My uncle is a home brewer, so I'm going to send him this article after the show because I think that's funny because he's also a huge fan of Sierra Nevada. Grossman, the brewery founder, who had served as the craft brewery's only CEO since the company opened in 1980, has transitioned into the role of chairman. So I guess he's taking a little step back from the day-to-day, found a really qualified guy, White was hired by Sierra Nevada as a systems integration director in 2013, and he previously worked for more than four years as the senior director of strategy and operations for Miller Coors craft and import division called 10th and Blake. He also held the COO title at the Boston Beer Company, which is well known for Sam Adams, for about 18 years before joining Miller Coors in 2009. So this is a really capable guy. I'm excited to see see the direction that uh, Sierra Nevada goes in. It says, the discussions we are having and the ideations are pretty exciting. So, really exciting stuff. But, yeah, thought that was cool. Yeah, and uh, I wonder if he brought up the idea for, like, the Resilience IPA. I mean, I wonder what changes he's already kind of made. Um, I already knew that Sierra Nevada was a pretty giving company as it was. So, I'm glad that he's continuing that trend. Yeah, Sierra Nevada ended last year as the 10th largest beer company in the U.S., So they have big shoes to keep on filling. So I feel like this guy coming in as a strategy guy is probably going to have a lot of ideas about growth for them. They're looking to grow by 5% this year. So we'll keep an eye on that story. And again, this is not sponsored by Brewbound, but I really do like this website. And I think it's a great spot to go for the latest news on craft. You know who we are sponsored by, Emily? Yes, that is Shirts on Tap. 
So Shirts on Tap is a subscription delivery service where you get one t-shirt delivered to your house every month from a different brewery in a major city in the U.S. For the very low price of $18 a month. And tell me the last time you bought a shirt for $18 at a brewery, Brian. Uh, Never. Never. So the boxes are $18 a month. They come in three-month installments. And you can get your first box for $5 with the code BREWROOTS. Nothing. I was just going to say, I, I know how much it is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Brian. <laughs> Emily, Emily can't see me. Like, oh, I know this one. Damn I know it, this. Brian. <laughs> can't get through one promo without screwing it up. But yeah. Matt is going to take a little peek into the past. What let's, do we got? Let's step on back into the time machine, Ryan. And now it's time for Today in Beer History. So kind of one of my favorite things during like the holiday time is when a loved one who's a little bit older than you says, back in my day, ticket prices <laughs> to the movie theaters was 10 cents. and we you had could to walk 15 miles through the snow. Or when my dad will tell me a gallon of gas was 20 cents and we could fill up the car with four guys in it and have a great weekend. Reminds me of the grandpa from Rugrats. Exactly. So... Again, our great friend Greg Smith, PhD, has failed us with another <laughs> beer fact. Uh, yes, yes, we can Good only share. Away, we can only share how many obscure breweries opened on this day in beer history. So, what I thought I would do is share the price of beer fifty years ago. And Emily and Ryan, would you like to take a guess at how much mm, that would be? Fifty years ago, so that would put us in nineteen fifty nine. Nineteen fifty nine. That's not right. 1969. <laughs> 1969, I'll bet beer was less than 25 cents a can. Brian? A can? I think it would be like 30 cents a pack. Wait, really? All right, you uh, both are wrong. I figured. But it hey. was 82 cents for a six pack. I was closer. Whoa. I was closer. No, I think I was closer because well, it's 25 cents a can. Okay, six. So you times that by six. So if we're going by prices, right? Rules? Who's right? All right. That's right. Okay. I think. Technically, actually, I think. It's the closest without going over. So Ryan's right. Yeah. Oh, without oh. going. Oh, see, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we, the go, by, right we go by prices, right? Beep, 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 beep. Well, fine. Oh, you should put that Shut sound up, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm telling Ryan to do like sound editing on the go. We're not even going to edit that out. So yes, it was 82 cents, and that was adjusted for inflation to five dollars and fifty eight cents. Damn! So, wow. And I wish beer was that cheap these days. I Same. know. I would be drinking a lot more. So I'm probably glad that it's not. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> um, but you know, if we go up in ten um, ten year increments in 1979, it was a dollar thirty two, and actually the inflation for that. Equated to four dollars and seventy nine cents in nineteen eighty nine, two dollars and three cents for a six pack, which adjusted for inflation was four dollars and six cents. Jeez, I know it's kind of crazy. It's not even fair. Nineteen ninety nine, which wasn't that long ago. Guess how much that was. Guess, I'll bet I mean, was, guess how much? I bet it was like less than six bucks. It was still two dollars and eighty cents. Whoa. Yeah. And then you really see a skyrocket in the, in the later years. I wonder, like, do you think it's because of the price of aluminum cans? Or, like, is is there a difference between the price of a pack of bottles versus cans? Or is that... I have no clue. That's so crazy. Yeah, it's just the marketing. I I, think yeah, marketing I was about has, to say, I'll bet yeah. it's the advertising and marketing budgets and yeah. stuff. That's crazy. Yeah, so... Think I mean, about that, people. When you pay for your next pack of well, Bud Light. Well, I mean, you can still get a Bud Light... You're paying for what, their marketing like six budget. six bucks for... Ryan, when's the last time you bought Bud Light? Never. Okay. A six-pack of Bud Light is like $9.99. It's $9.99? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, at most places. Interesting. Yeah. Where well, are you going? Yeah. That seems a lot. Yeah, that seems Just like, like any of those big packies like on the way home. Beer-flavored water. Like total wine? Because that definitely no. wouldn't be that. I, w- I don't want to name any names, but just like the big one that's like not Pappy's, but... <laughs> You oh, know. but but <laughs> I will say it, cappies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I think it's like eight ninety nine or something or nine ninety nine. Yeah. All right. Well, that kind of uh, concludes our portion of the podcast. So we're going to go on to the interview, but make sure you listen all the way through because we are actually debuting a song 
from my friend DJ Alistair and his track Kill. It's pretty cool. It's pretty weird sounding, but uh, Nick's a good friend, and uh, we're going to release it for him. Nice job, Nick. Great job. And on to the episode. Cheers. All right, everyone. We are here on a busy Friday afternoon. Does this do people work in uh in Wakefield? <laughs> Come on, or Woburn, Woburn. Do people work in Woburn? Because yeah. I mean, it's busy here, and you guys opened what uh forty minutes ago. Uh, yeah, I, no, actually, uh, what what time is it right now? It's around two thirty. Right? Yeah, uh, we open for business around uh, eleven in the morning. Oh gosh. Yeah. All right. Well, business is good then. Oh yeah. It's yes. Booming. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. And I am here. If you guys can't hear in the background, I am here at Lord Hobo. Brewing company and uh, what's going on? I'm here with Uncle Frank. Correct. We'll, we'll get into why you're called Uncle Frank in a little <laughs> bit. And Garrett. Um, so right off the bat, first question we ask is uh, your role here at Lord Hobo, your first memory of beer, and uh, your name. Uh, all right. Well, I'll go first. It's uh, Uncle Frank, and uh, yeah, there's kind of a story that goes behind that. We we can get into that a little bit later if you want. Uh, so my role here is a production production supervisor and uh, lead brewer. So I'm in charge of uh, training and development of new brewers, as well as the safety czar. Uh, okay. I want to make sure that everybody comes back to work the next day in the same way that they left. Uh, my name is Garrett Dickerson. Um, I am one of the innovation team uh, members, I guess. I don't exactly know what the full title I have is. but um, Sorry, what were the rest of the questions? Uh, well, you, it, you can answer them in compounding. It's uh, first memory of beer and a roll. So you already got two of them. First memory of beer. Uh, first memory of beer is probably a very old 12-pack of Budweiser in my father's uh, basement. <laughs> uh, he did not drink much. And uh, when I was a kid, I remembered seeing that 12-pack of Budweiser just sitting in the basement fridge forever. And then when I was finally of drinking age, decided to try one out. Uh, I actually still have a couple cans of those. They're old enough to drink <laughs> themselves. <laughs> uh, I also forgot to mention that I'm also on the innovation team with Garrett. So first memory of beer is two of them that kind of jump out. Definitely my uncle uh, buying a bunch of Narragansett uh, for like a, a party, a uh, backyard party at the house. I'm like, wow, it's local. <laughs> Uh, it was Gansett, and being from Rhode Island, the uh, the nickname of Nasty Gansett kind of stuck to it. Uh, um, and then just Heineken, lots of Heinekens are around the house and at family events. Uh, it's way back when, so as far as memory of beer. Yeah. Before we get too far into the interview, can you? What is the innovation team? Can we talk about that? What does that What does that mean? Sure. So. Um, we recently got a new 10-barrel brewing system in-house, so our main production system is a 40-barrel. And with the 10-barrel comes the opportunity to build out new beers, new profiles that we weren't doing for the years before that. Uh, we, for the most part, were an IPA brewing company. That's what people knew us by. And now you look up at the tap board up there, and you can see a whole lot of different styles. So the innovation team is pretty much in charge of coming up with the new beers that we're putting out to the public on that smaller system. Very cool. Yeah, recipe development uh, and, and techniques as well. You know, trying to do some of the same beers but do them a different way uh, for efficiency's sake, for time-saving sake, just trying to be a little bit different, a little more innovative with the brewing process as well as the, the different things that they are exploring, new styles, and maybe even creating a couple of our own. So. Cool. All right, so let's talk about you guys a little bit. So your past, obviously you guys didn't tell your parents I want to grow up and work in a brewery. Uh, what was what was what was the first? What did you guys want to do? And how did you get to Lord Hobo or the brewing industry as a whole? Uh, well, so for me, I uh, I didn't really even get into beer or brewing until I was uh, well into college. Um, so I, I ended up going to college for engineering, uh, and when I was early sophomore in college, uh, someone in uh, so one of my friends kind of showed me home brewing and it just sucked it stuck right away like I knew that I wanted to keep doing that there was a creative aspect along with the scientific aspect that just really drew me in uh, I've always said to people that there if you're a science-minded person there is something in beer for you uh, so that just kind of stuck to me I, I I ended up going into the engineering workforce for a while and uh, just the desk job was not for me uh, it was a grind. It was the daily grind, and I did not want it. 
So I tried to get out of it as fast as I could, interviewed at breweries left and right, and uh, this one finally popped up right around the corner from where I grew up. I uh, moved back home and uh, been here ever since. How long is that? What's ever since? Uh, so we opened our doors to the public uh, June of 2015. So I wasn't here for the build-out, unfortunately, but the day we opened to the public, I was, I was an employee of Lord Hobo. So to show a little bit of the diversity that we have here at, uh, at Lord Hobo Brewing Company, um, so Garrett's first job is the job he's still at <laughs> yeah. uh, here at a brewery. Uh, I started, so this is, uh, well, well, we'll just say multiple breweries. Uh, we don't want to give away how old I actually am. <laughs> uh, but I was in banking uh, a long time ago, and if I was a kid, I probably wanted to be an astronaut. But then you realize, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, so I, I, I got out of college with a degree in economics. I uh, worked in the banking industry for a while, uh, became really good friends uh, while I was homebrewing with some guys who were running a brewery down in Rhode Island. And as they were expanding and growing and uh, also growing with families, and one of the guys, uh, his wife had twins, and he's like, I can't keep doing all this on my own. Do you want to come on board? I left banking and uh, put down my shirt and tie and put on some rubber boots, and I really haven't looked back since. I uh, worked for a few breweries. In between there, uh, I was a head brewer at a brew pub. I worked at a larger production brewery uh, in New Hampshire. And a friend of mine who was working here at the time said, hey, we're growing and we can use some people that have uh, some, some other skill sets. Why don't you come down and take a look at what we got going on? And at that time, we had a, still a 40-barrel brew house and 10 tanks, uh, including brights. So it was, uh, for matters of tanks, there was 10. Now we're at 27? I think that's just fermenters. Yeah, just fermenters. Yeah. And those fermenters were double the size of what we started Jesus. with here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's just knowing other people in the industry and talking to them. And they're like, hey, we got some things that are going on. And when I checked it out, I liked the vibe. I liked what we were doing. I liked, I liked Daniel's vision of what he wanted to try to do. Um, and just uh, I said, yeah, there's something I think I want to be part of. And so I've been here for a little over two years now. Excellent. Let's talk a little bit about Daniel's vision because it's, it's a little backwards from what some breweries do, right? You know, a lot of them, they'll start with capital and they'll start local. You guys are all over the country. I mean, I made the mistake four or five years ago trying to trade a steal this can to someone in California. And they said, dude, I can get this down the street. Like, what the <laughs> hell? So, I mean, you guys are all over pretty much the whole country. Um, is that because you started with two or three core beers mm-hmm. here? Oh, yeah. Um, can we talk about how that's kind of deviated throughout the time? Sure, yeah. Uh, when we when we started out, uh, the general idea, so Boom Sauce was actually originally not its own recipe. Uh, it was a, a blend of beers. So the whole idea was uh, trying to have that think big first mentality. Um, so think like the big brewers do. Tried to have the, the blending for consistency as uh, a priority. And so we had three main recipes that we would brew constantly and then blend those in varying amounts to make boom sauce and make it as consistent as we could. We found out very quickly that with what we had built out and with the following that we got very quickly, uh, we couldn't keep up. So the blending actually hindered our ability to keep up with demand. Do you attribute a lot of the demand being to your good marketing? You guys have... That's part of that think big first mentality. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about it. the the can that comes to mind is the Steel can, right? Uh, is that something you guys still distribute that? That. Sorry, which one? Steel this can. Uh, we don't actually. That that one is uh, tapering off a little bit. Boom Sauce is the flagship. Yeah. That is the the big one that we make more than anything. Okay. Um. That's the that's the flagship. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. But Steel definitely had some some following, and who knows, it might it might make an appearance uh, at some point in the future. You know. Uh, Tap room only, and we'll tell everybody, social yeah. media-wise, hey, come get it. Yeah. Uh, and even if it's not that, uh, I think part of the vision we're talking about is, as far as what Daniel uh, kind of has in his head, because Daniel's background was as a publican. I mean, he owned bars before he had the brewery, so he's seen a lot of things come across and come through the, you know, come across the shelf, come through the door. He had a pretty good idea of what works and what doesn't. You know, what's sexy and what's not. Uh, so anybody can come in and be like, hey, I got this sexy new beer. And he's going to look at it and go, no, it's not. Uh, and he'll know right away, and he'll tell you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's one of the things we like about Daniel. He, he's a you know, straight shooter. 
Um, and that exposure from places like the Moan and Dove and the Dirty Truth and being one of the first bars to pour a 60-minute IPA from Dogfish right. and uh, garnering a relationship with people like Sam Calgione and respect from a lot of other people in the beer industry has given him you know, this, this, uh, this tunnel vision as to what works and what doesn't in his mind, and that's what he wants to try and shoot for. And you're talking about the space in Cambridge? Uh, particularly, or uh, well, he was out in like Western Mass. I don't remember exactly what town. Uh, uh, it was uh, near UMass. Amherst. It was out near okay. UMass. Yeah. yeah, and then eventually he ended up o- opening the place uh, in Cambridge, a, the Hobo Bar. Yeah. He's got a couple all on the uh, Eastern he's Seaboard. Cool. Yeah, and with Hobo Bar is one of those. It's like, hey, now I'm getting consistent beer, and now I'm getting inconsistent beer. I want to make beer that's always going to be consistent, and that's sort of where that uh, that spurned. And it's like, all right, now we're going to have Lord Hobo Brewing Company. And, uh, again, through the connections and stuff the, that he's made uh, by being in the industry gives us the ability to be like, well, hey, I know this guy or I know this distributor or I know this person. And, uh, yeah, sure, we love your beer. We'll carry it. You know, I mean, we, when we're still smaller and just New England-based, uh, I went out to Denver for the Great American Beer Fest. Boom Sauce was on tap, Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which was pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool to see the beer. I mean, I was in Texas and I saw it in Texas. Oh, really? Uh, so let's talk about this space in particular because I was here a year ago and it did not look as gorgeous as it looks now. So let's talk about the expansion to the tap room because before you guys were just doing sample pours for the longest time. We were for a very long time. Uh, we did, before we closed down for renovations, we were open for pints for uh, a good stretch of time. Uh, but a lot of that ended up having to be single day serving licenses that we had to keep renewing. Um, but, yeah, we, we were able to serve pints for a while. We did tasters uh, when we were really just focusing on building out the distribution more than anything else. The distribution and just getting production going in full swing, trying to fill that demand. Um, but, yeah, it, it definitely did not look anything like this before. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the locals lovingly called it uh, cafeteria almost. Yes. It was just those those blue walls, the silver tables, the upturned kegs for seats. It, was, uh, it had its own... Charm. Charm. Yeah. That's a good word for it. Yeah. That was a cool. It's still cool here. So let's talk about the tap room. It's red walls, exposed wood. Uh, who's vi- is this is Dan's vision or is this a... I, I'm sure that this is mostly his vision, but he, uh, he, de- he hired a n- very nice team of architects and designers to come in and help with his vision for this. Uh, the name that we've given this place is the Humble Castle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you guys have more beers on tap than you've ever had. Um, so I'm seeing pilsners, I'm seeing a wheat, I'm seeing a dinner stout. Uh, because you got your core beers initially, has that allowed you to now become experimental and that's what the innovation team is? Or Yeah. Um, having always o- being able to offer the, the core beers is, uh, is important. So the, the beer is here and it's as fresh as you're going to get it. But we also have a, a really good um, QA, QC department and uh, dedicated to making sure that the, the beer that you get here is going to be the beer that you get out in the market as well. That said, uh, we'll be able to do some things on the bigger system, some things on our smaller system, and that creates you know, that unique experience of, hey, I can only get this beer here. You know, a little while ago, we had a Goza and a Sour IPA that was only available here. Uh, and then also, you see where that's going to go when, if they're creates this demand for it, now maybe we take one of those other beers and brew it on the bigger system and get it out into distribution. Um, so you're using the, the tasting room as a, as a pilot or as a... As a exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, people give feedback. We, we see what's exciting, what's not. It also lends to, you know, you don't want to make the same thing every single day over and over again. And that can happen. Yeah, I mean, what, a couple of weeks ago, what is it, four straight days of boom sauce? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, the demand's there. People want it. Uh, but it also lends to some of the creativity. You know, uh, Garrett mentioned, you know, you have that science-minded side. Uh, but also there's a creative side to brewing as well. And this gives us to, as long as we use the proper science to make the beer and make it consistent, now we can get to be creative. And there's your creative outlet to be able to get some other things out. Jumping into Pilsner is a perfect example where it's like IPA, 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 and then it became, hey, I want you to make a lager. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, we uh, jumped was, on that, Jess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure, yeah. 
Um, yeah. So, why the name Lord Hobo? Do you guys know? You know, I feel like he gives different stories to different people depending <laughs> on the day. Okay. Keeps a lot of those naming things very close to the chest. Okay, that's fine. No, that's a, it's a cool name. It's it's unique. Um, it's funny. I see you guys out and about at different bars with the cuts on. Uh, <laughs> can we talk about those? Is that just something that unifies all of you guys, or specifically these ones? The, yes. Uh, yes. So the uh, the vest is a, a special thing here at Lord Hobo. Uh, the vest is a one year gift for employees. So anyone that's been here for over a year uh, gets the vest. Yeah. So it, it if you see people out and about with those, you know that they've been here for a good stretch of time. Seems like a lot of people remain at Lord Hobo. I mean, I'm looking around and I see quite a bit of people with. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of vests right now, and even the guys who don't have vests, uh, people just love wearing the logo. Yeah. You know, they've got sweatshirt, they've got hat, they've got whatever. Um, and, and, and getting that out there, which is which is pretty cool. But, yeah, getting the vest is uh, a that, special thing. Y- yeah, yeah that, that one-year anniversary comes up, and you're like, yeah! <laughs> you feel like you've made it, kind of. Um, let's, talk about, let's talk about the uh, like the culture here at Lord Hobo. Like, what's it like? Busy. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's still a production brewery, even uh, though we do have this nice bump and tap room and the, the pilot system that does help slow down some days but it is a production brewery first and foremost so the days are just kind of churn out those beers get the get the tanks full fill that demand um when you first started at lord hobo both of you guys um how has the mission changed from your first day to where we are today Hmm. i have to think back on that how about you frank you're you're your first uh, day was a little earlier than, or closer now than mine. I don't know if, if so much the mission itself has changed. I, I think it's still world-class beer uh, and get it into everybody's hands. Uh, you know, really great beer that you, you don't necessarily have to go on a mission for in order to get. You don't um, have to wait in line for it. Right. Yeah. That, that really was the the mission from day one was world-class beer available everywhere don't have to go out of your way and uh, we still try to strive for that even even with these 10 barrel beers these we would love if they were things that people were lining up out the door for but it's not the goal because um, if they do do that then all right we're going to start making that on the production system so you don't have to wait that's a good business model yeah that's uh and, and I like that too. You know, it's it's one of those. It, it's a it's a nice thing that you know where I'm living, I can go and do my food shopping, and there's my beer on the shelf. Right. You know, in New Hampshire, they're selling the beer in in, in the supermarket, and uh, so every now and again, you just you, you see somebody walk by and they grab you know a four pack or a six pack off the shelf while they're doing their food shopping, and uh, it gives, gives you a little a little grin. You know, uh, but yeah, world class beer and just it, it, it's uh, what what's Daniel always say that beer is one of life's most affordable luxuries you know and, and having really really good beer yeah it's going to cost you a little bit more but so is the experience it doesn't really cost you that much more it's it's good beer and it's a good time uh, especially if you're having it you know in a good place with good people you know? what are some breweries in your guys opinion that are doing it right other than lord hobo uh, i gotta say one of my favorite locals i do live around the corner from them so i'm probably a little biased on there a lot is uh, idle hands i think they're definitely doing it right over there um keeping it they try to keep it as true to style as you possibly can uh but they still throw in a couple of those funky things every once in a while but i it's everything they make is hitting it out of the park for me that's that's a tough question for me (laughs) um there's a lot of guys that are doing it doing it well um you know you can go completely old school i mean sierra nevada has always been one of those companies that has just always made a solid product um, and they're not going to make everything that's out there, uh, but what they do is is, is good. Uh, and then you can go something smaller. So I live up in New Hampshire, and across the line, right in Maine, is a place called Tributary. Oh, Todd Mott, the yeah, Todfather. Todd Mott, yes. Uh, Todd's an awesome guy. Yeah. He's a, they have great staff. His wife is awesome. So I, I feel like you know Todd's always you know, on that cutting edge. He understands uh, the beer and the culture. They call uh, him the godfather of New England IPA for a reason. <laughs> So uh, what is a trend that you guys see in craft beer right now that you love and there's a trend in craft beer that you hate? Maybe not hate. Hate's a strong word, but let's say hmm. would wish doesn't carry over into the new year. Honestly, like, so trend that I 
love. I don't know that there's anything that like sticks out. I, I haven't really seen too many trends of late. Like the IPA trend is still in full force, so everyone's trying to make the new IPA. The the one that I I am not quite keen on, and I know a lot of the country is, is the brewed IPA. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, I, I have. I know that there's probably some really good ones out there. I have not come across any of them really. Um, it just, yeah, it, it's not a style that, to me, screams something that I want to stay around. The descriptors for it almost sound like what a uh, a thin session IPA. But when people were first making the session IPAs, you would hear uh, people describe them as fizzy hop water. Right. And it almost sounds like they're purposefully trying to make that now. Uh, I'd say just there are a lot of breweries that are doing something different just for the sake of doing something different and that's a trend that I I can't really get on board with you know if you truly want if that's your style or that's your brand identity go for it and you know do it but do it well right uh, they're like oh we're gonna do this different just so that we can be different and maybe we get some chatter or whatever and that's not really who they are and if it's just mediocre they might not care because well they're not going to make that one. They're going to make the next thing right after that. So they're they're chasing that uh, that white whale, and uh, I see a lot of breweries doing that. And I, I I wish they wouldn't. I wish they would kind of find their identity and be like, all right, this is what we're going to do. Uh, and if you're going to rotate and make something different all the time, that's great. Just make it really really good. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes that just doesn't happen. Oh, especially when you look at the origin stories for a lot of the white whale beers that are out there now. A lot of them happen by accident. Like they they were making something tried out something new just to see what would happen and then out of nowhere people loved this beer that they weren't intending to make yeah yeah, yeah. there's so many stories about that yeah it's like chocolate chip cookies there wasn't supposed to be chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> chocolate chips <laughs> fell into the cookies then they were amazing it's like oh look what happened i'm gonna make this all the time but you, you can't chase an accident all the time so stuff that uh, the second part was uh trends that we like yeah I, I've seen a lot more loggers. That is a very good trend. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Big logger and Pilsner guy, so mm-hmm. happy to see that. It does seem like the sours are starting to trend up as well. People aren't as afraid of them, and the, the rise of kettle sours has definitely helped with that. Yes. Uh, a much more mild sourness to ease your palate into it. Mm-hmm. Favorite beer at Lord Hoba? Ooh, that's constantly changing for me. <laughs> uh, right now, it would probably, now that I just mentioned the Kettle Sours, it would probably be our Sour IPA, um, which unfortunately I don't believe is on tap right now, but we did just brew a batch of it, so it should be on shortly. Pilsner. Pilsner. Yeah. Once once we launched the Pilsner, I was so happy with this beer. I was so excited. A, a doing the lager and B, I was really, really happy with the way it came out, uh, and this has become my, my go-to beer uh, all the time. It was Glorious before that. Glorious was my favorite. Uh, you know, glorious and Steel. And producing less steel, drinking more glorious. Then we did Pilsner, and it's that's always in my glass, always in my fridge. Is there a gateway beer for Lord Hobo? So was, what would be the beer that you would present to someone to say, try this? Consolation Prize. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's yeah. a joke. That's yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, a lot of people that come in uh, and say they don't like IPAs, or at least before we had all of the non-IPA brands, the bartenders would kind of usher them towards Consolation Prize. It is one of the sweeter offerings of IPAs we have. Mm-hmm. Um, more palatable for those that don't like the hops. But what we have now, I, don't, I would still probably say Boom Sauce. Like, if you like Boom Sauce, you'll like everything we have. Uh, it's the flagship for a reason. It draws people in. We keep making it more than anything else because it is what people recognize our brand by. Who's designing your logos or cans? Uh, we have uh, staff in-house now, actually, that does a lot of that. Uh, we used to have some designer outside, I believe. I don't entirely know. Like, I wasn't too privy to that in the early days. Uh, but now we have a whole staff across the street that deals with a lot of the administrative stuff like that. Yeah. I believe one of when didn't he work for, like, an outside source, and then we took him? <laughs> You would know more than me. <laughs> <laughs> That's possible. I, I don't really know uh, for, for sure, but I, I thought that was how, how that kind of came about. So who comes up with the beer names? Is there a 
Is oh, there... that's definitely boss man. Uh, oh, really? So yeah, Daniel a... gets the final say on all the naming. Okay. <laughs> is what's, uh, I'm looking up, like, I see Angelica. Why is it Angelica? Do you know? Uh, it says on the can because she's the most beautiful girl in the world. That, that, <laughs> it's, it was supposed same. to be an elegant, silky smooth beer. And uh, that's, yep. Uh, I believe that was actually the Urban Dictionary definition of Angelica that we printed on that can. Oh, yeah. That, right. was, that was the first <laughs> result on Urban Dictionary for Angelica. Yeah. So, so you guys, w uh, what was day one of the new tap tap space? Day did we? Like we a couple weeks ago. Um, it was. It was I'm just ashamed. I don't remember. How it was long just ago before was. Thanksgiving. Well, it, it kept getting pushed back. Right. So yeah. we had dates in mind, and then it just kept getting pushed back um, because it wasn't ready, and we wanted it to be right. Perfect. You know, yeah. you don't want to come out half-assed. Uh, yeah, around so a month. Like, yeah. So yeah, we've been we've been rolling about a month, and man, that first weekend. Oh, it's crazy. Go yeah, oh yeah. goodness. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the moments that have been uh, rewarding for you guys here at Lord Hobo. So. It doesn't have to be in the tap space, but what's been a rewarding moment so far? Uh, well, for me personally, because I came from the homebrewing background, um, I I've, I had been homebrewing for about 10 years before I even started working here. So I like was pretty sure of myself for recipe development and everything. Um, the dream is always to own my own place someday, but they keep keeping me around and giving me a reason not to leave and do that. <laughs> uh, but the rewarding moment was probably my first recipe that was scaled up. Uh, having my first beer on tap. Which is that? Uh, the first one, so it's actually not on tap here. Uh, the first beer that I got scaled up to be on tap here and is actually going to be the first one that I have scaled up to cans was Godmother. Okay. Um, the Imperial Stout. The first one that I actually made was actually for a uh, contract brew that we did. The Wooden Tap. Oh, the uh, Wooden Tap beer. Yeah. That's right, yeah. But that was, that was my first moment of like, all right, I can actually do this. This is a real thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, there's, there's, there's a few. Um, I think, so we, we have this, uh, this beer, Virtuoso, which is a wonderful beer. It was very difficult to get it to where we wanted it to be. Um, different iterations, trying different yeast, trying different ingredients, trying different temperatures, trying, and it just, it just, it kept, it kept avoiding us. <laughs> uh, I, I felt like it was mocking me. You know, it's like, do what I tell you. These recipes at this temp, at this ingredients, and this yeast should do X. And it just, it wouldn't do it. Or if it did do it, it wasn't consistent. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, it was like, we're, we're going to get this beer where we want it because we, we want this beer. And we finally got it there and then got it to a consistency. It was like, all right, fine. We just got that realized. And that was a, that was a true team effort, uh, which for me is really cool. I like the fact that we, you know, we can sit in a room with innovation, with brewing, uh, with QA, with sales, with marketing, um, and with Bossman, and everybody kind of talks about how are we going to get from point A to point B, and with Virtuoso we finally got to point B, and the beer is beautiful. And actually, just took a gold medal at the Great International Beer Competition uh, this uh, this past fall. Congratulations! Thank you. Uh, let's let's find out a little bit about you guys. What's in your beer fridge at home? Uh, <laughs> after the holiday party we just had this past weekend, a <laughs> lot of double IPAs. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, for the most part, I do have our stuff. Uh, I keep a nice stock of Virtuoso and Angelica. Those are usually my two go-to's for the cans. Um, I do have a couple idle hands. Uh, I think I still have a Dunkel from down the road as well. Uh, it also helps that I live with another one of the brewers here, and he helps keep the beer <laughs> very well <laughs> diversified and stocked. Uh, let's see. There shouldn't be, but there probably is a couple of bottles uh, still left over of uh, Oktoberfest, um, either German ones or from Smutty Nose. Uh, that's one of my favorite styles is Oktoberfest beer and uh, they should all be gone but I know there's a couple of stragglers um, I've got Pilsner our, our Pilsner and um, Angelica in the fridge as well and as far as other beers uh, probably like Sierra Nevada Celebration I, I, I know there's some of that and some 22 ounce bombers of um, just various Imperial Stouts 
uh, things like that. Oh, and I actually just picked up a Pilsner from uh, from Tributary as well. Uh, totally different than ours, but still completely solid. You know, I was just more of that uh, German, bohemian, a little more rounder. His is uh, more in that, that Czech style, uh, a little sharper, uh, but, but really, really nice. Um, and then the annual release from Newport Storm, which is now called uh, Newport Craft Brewing. Uh, they do an annual release every year that uh, they, they cork the bottles, and every year it's different. So this year it's a uh, barley wine, and I believed it was aged in uh, Thomas Two Rum barrels. Um, so I, I usually get one of those all the time. So that's sitting in the fridge waiting for probably Christmas Day. You're hearing a trend about consistency in beer, right? Uh, and it's slowly taking a turn towards wine, right? Where a wine sometimes, they go, oh, that's what this batch this year yielded. Is that a good thing for the beer industry, or is that a, a bad thing? I don't think it's either. Uh, I think consistency in beer really depends on what your business model is and your size. Uh, if if you're a smaller nano brewery, you're not going to have like you shouldn't chase that consistency because you're constantly turning over new batches anyway. Most of your customers are okay with for that. the for the flagships. Yeah, you should try to get consistency as much as you can for that. But it is tougher the smaller system you have, so that might not be your ultimate goal. If you have a production brewery like us and you're sending it to 15 states in a couple different countries, that consistency is pretty important because you might have two different batch dates on the same shelf, and if it's not that consistent, you're going to get two very different reactions from customers. Uh, I like for the beer to be consistent. I, 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 want it, I don't want it to follow the, the wine trend um, unless it's something that's you know an aged beer. Right. You know, uh, It's an imperial stout. It's going to be different year to year or whether you make it different or not. I think that's one of the challenges as brewers is that, you know, the vintners can say, oh, well, that's the crop. And as a brewer, we have to look at the crop and be like, well, it has a different protein, but I need consistency, so I need to change my recipe, where they can just use the same recipe all the time. Oh, if it's different, it's different. Um, We want it to be consistent, and that's an additional challenge. So when you're looking at uh, hops and if it's got a different alpha acid, you need to be able to adjust the amount of hops that you're using in order to be able to get you know consistent bitterness in the beer, um, depending on style. Again, New England IPAs usually late hop additions. You don't have to worry about that as much. But uh, like Pilsner, like we need to know what that alpha acid is because the crop's different next year. We need to be able to make that adjustment so it's the same beer uh, time after time. Do you guys have a guilty pleasure beer? Define guilty pleasure. <laughs> a beer that. Someone would be shocked if you said you liked it. Oh, I, I've gotten visceral reactions from homebrew friends when I order a PBR at the bar and they are ordering the main lunch. Yeah. Uh, sometimes yeah. I just want to turn off and not think about beer. Yeah. So. I think that one, and we'll, uh, we can blame JT Thompson for this one, but it's probably uh, Miller High Life. It's a champagne. <laughs> it's the champagne. Yeah, it's a champagne. Um, what do you guys see next for Lord Hobo? I mean, business is good, right? Business is good. Booming. Booming. Not to be cliche, but I mean. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, honestly, next is just keep moving forward. Uh, we've been expanding this long. We're not in 50 states yet. That's, that's definitely one of the ultimate goals. Uh, we have space in the back. It might not look like it anymore compared to how we started, but there's still space back there, and we can keep expanding. Uh, as long as we can keep expanding, we're going to definitely keep doing that. Yeah, I think it's just just keep growing. If you're not going, if you're not going forward, you're going backwards. Um, we don't want to stand still. Um, and you know, it just yeah, just kind of just keep pushing it forward. You know, and, and finding new things. Maybe it's a new style, a new brand, a new whatever. Um, it, it'll be dictated by different forces. You know, if other people are looking for something different. Uh, and also what pops into the mind of marketing, the mind of sales, and, and, and boss man. Uh, you know, he might go on a trip to, I don't know, Iceland and come back and be like, I had this amazing beer and we need to make something like this. Oh, God, okay, fine. <laughs> Can you fly uh, us out there to figure out how to do y- it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you guys doing to impact the media community in Woburn? And then what? how are you I- impacting beer community as well uh, as far as the beer community in Woburn they're basically it was non-existent before exactly. us so uh, 
we're impacting it by giving them a brewery, I guess. Um, I I was not from Woburn. I don't necessarily know the uh, the before and after because when I came back here, it, that was my first instant like intro to Woburn. Uh, I don't know if we have increased uh, the draw to the city at all. I feel like we probably have because I don't think all of these people live in Woburn. But as far as impacting the community... Because you guys do events and stuff. We do. Uh, and But that's the thing. The two of us are probably not... We don't have great eyes on that. We're uh, we're mostly stuck behind the wall in the production <laughs> side of things. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a whole team of people that would be part of uh, marketing and outreach yeah. for stuff like that. But you guys, I mean, it's regardless, you guys still do that. You guys are impacting the community. You're having, you're hosting events. You have a beautiful town. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll do a pop-up event, um, you know, d- holiday season. We've got some, uh, like, pop-up holiday shopping area where people come in. And, uh, I think that's happening actually, Saturday, too. Yeah. And actually, if you look wow. around, too, so we've got this beautiful artwork on the walls, and uh, this gives a, a spot for maybe local artists to, to come and showcase their work. Uh, and we've done that before, even before we did the renovation. You know, we had, uh, like, spray paint artwork, and people came in and it was like, wow, that's, that's really cool. You know, where did you get that? So it gives us some exposure to be able to do that. Um, I do know we've done some team-up with different different places. One's called uh, No Kid Hungry, I think is the, the name of it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's a dollar from every pint of meat and potatoes goes towards that, uh, that fund. Um, and... Uh, you know, yeah, there's, there's other things that will happen here. Maybe, you know, we'll have a music night or a DJ night. But like Garrett said, it's his new local Uber businesses has we'll a, partner with and do uh, pop-ups with as well just to get, yeah. get their name on the board. Yeah, we've got a gathering spot now, too, for a lot of people to come out. And uh, uh, one of the other things that we did, too, is um, so we did a, uh, a charity bike ride. Um, so Garrett did uh, Best Buddies, and uh, I did the New England Parkinson's ride. And so we had jerseys made. And we're out there as a team just, you know, so maybe not so it's just local community, but trying to hit New England for, for different things and create some, uh, some charitable contributions and some awareness for some really good charities that are out there. Very good. Uh, last question for you guys. Uh, what are you most proud of? In general or with me? Whatever. whatever <laughs> you, this is, a, this is, this is am, a beer and people podcast, right? So. Right. I don't know yet, Frank. This is you. That's a, that's a big question. It is. It's a broad question. Can I say this glass? This glass is pretty damn cool. I'm happy yeah, with your these. Name on it, glass so, yeah. Um, it hasn't been easy, you know. Growing a business to this size, this quickly, is not easy, and to be able to do it and do it well, uh, super proud of the team that we have. You know, we have a lot of dedicated people here who, who, who bust their asses, really, is the only way to put it, and uh, put, their, put their egos aside and figure out, all right, let's, let's, let's figure out how to get this done. Um, so it's not so much a me super proud moment, but it's like that's one of the things I'm proud of uh, that, that we've accomplished here uh, beyond the liquid, you know, is just building this culture that people want to be a part of. Uh, and I think, I think that's super cool. Yeah, I guess just to piggyback on that, I, yeah, I'm proud to have been here to help build that out, uh, to see the growth that we've gone through, gone through, to go from the small number of tanks with the wide open airplane hangar of a space that we had back there using a, a wild goose system that you could fit on the back of a pickup truck <laughs> <laughs> to the gigantic Crohn's canyon line that we have now and the multitudes of tanks the amount of beer we're putting out it's uh i'm just extremely proud to have been here through all of that and help with the process yeah Yeah. and on a personal side i think too with all the new beers that we have uh we have all this beer and i still haven't gained any weight so i'm proud of that so yeah yeah. (laughs) we'll talk off air how you did that (laughs) (laughs) interested about that not having a silo yeah 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 yeah. um all right, so where are you guys on social media, and what is the physical location of the tap room so people can come here? Uh, on We are everywhere on social media. It's uh, I believe it's just Lord Hobo Brewing. Is it Lord Hobo Brewing or Lord Hobo Brewing Co.? Um, Lord Hobo Brewing Co. on Instagram. Okay. Um, but, yeah, we're on all forms of social media for that. Uh, and the actual physical location is 5 Draper Street in Woburn, Mass. Awesome. We're pulling it up on my phone just to see. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So thank you guys so much. If you guys haven't been to Lord Hobo's new tap space, 
check it out. There's something wrong with you because it's awesome. And you guys are open like pretty damn good hours for oh, breweries. Yeah, so. 11 a.m. to midnight, I'm pretty sure, every day. Yeah. Holy cow. And uh, I know the kitchen's, uh, kitchen used to start at 3 or 4, and I believe now it's at noon. Yeah. So you can come in for lunch. And uh, the food's phenomenal here as well. So. Yeah, that might change the whole weight gain thing now that we have pizza. Yeah. So. <laughs> cool. Excellent. Well, anything else, gentlemen? No, I think that's it. No, no I'll do it. I know you guys are busy, so I'll let you guys get back to work. So thanks for doing this today. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.